0: So I hope you're all keeping well and you've recovered from Saturday's crushing disappointment. This pod reviewing the game is a couple of days late, I didn't really want to talk about the game but I think I'm ready now. Before we get stuck in I have a quick announcement, you may have noticed a couple of changes to the branding already. So uh, making changes to Ulster Rugby Lad, it will be a complete rebrand and relaunch, the new and improved version of the website will be up in due course. So as I say, it's called the Red Hand and it's going to be class. The plan is to take ultra rugby journalism to the next level. It'll offer unrivaled insight, unfiltered opinion, powerful stories and accessible analysis. I'll continue to do the podcast and interview players past and present. In fact, I have a few of those lined up. There's Paddy McAllister, David Humphreys, among others. I'll continue to do previews, reviews and podcasts of every game. So anyway... Uh just keep an eye out for that. It's going to be really good. Um, I'll put announcements up on the Facebook uh group. So if you're not a member of that, it's a private group, so we community in there. So join the Facebook group, type Ulster Rugby Lad in the Facebook, and hopefully it comes up. Um the other way to keep an eye on things is to uh follow me on Instagram. So um Ulster Rugby Lad on Instagram, and you can see the Red Henry brand uh coming to fruition on Instagram as well. Um, The other place is Twitter as well. So follow myself or Nathan on Twitter and uh, we'll continue to keep you updated about Ulster Rugby Lad uh, slash the Red Hand stuff. So anyway, on to the more important matter of Saturday's defeat. So if for some reason you didn't see it, Ulster let a five-point lead slip to miss out on the URC final. So I said it at the time, and I'll say it again, I'm proud of the Ulster players. They couldn't have done more, literally putting their bodies on the line for the sake of the team. Ulster fell short when it mattered, but in my humble opinion, this was more down to decisions off the pitch than on it. To be honest, I don't think we utilized our bench. I was disappointed to see what I perceived as a lack of trust in the wider squad. So this is a problem that as far as I can tell, stand back all seasons, players seemingly frozen out and not given sufficient game time to prove their worth. And when we need them, um they're maybe not just at match fitness or ready to step in. And the guys who did, did well, it was far too late in the game. Anyway, we'll talk about more of that in a minute. So, in any event, what made this loss so disappointing is that we have such a talented squad. One of the best centre partnerships in James Hume and Stuart McCloskey in the world and a really exciting young back three. Despite the fact Mike Laurie is injured, Stuart Moore came in and did a stellar job. So we do have a, a unique and rare mix of youth and experience in this team and it makes it even more disappointing. It's probably our best chance of winning a trophy since 2006. Anyway, I'll stop rambling. I'm joined by Nathan. He's a rugby journalist um, who is a regular contributor to Ulster Rugby Lads slash The Red Hand. So we'll have a chat about the game. So Nathan, I'm going to start by asking you very broad questions to so we'll interpret how you like. What did you make of the game?
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's really difficult to detach yourself from the emotion of a finish like that, isn't it? Um, there's only one reaction when a kick goes over and you're trying to figure out if it did will go over or not. You're watching... Lots of South Africans going mental and then you're watching Ian Henderson trying to find any official he possibly can and, and trying to trying to get a TMO review. So it was chaotic. It was frenetic. It was brilliant television, uh, just from a purely entertainment point of view. And I guess that's that's what this is at the end of the day. Sport is entertainment. But so in that regard, it's 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 really hard to disassociate yourself just from that that letdown um, from, you know, from an Ulster point of view, and then more generally speaking from, from an Irish rugby point of view, because of course Ulster were the, the last hopes in the tournament by that stage. But then you look back at it and you, as, as, as gut wrenching as that was and as disappointing as it was. And, you know, everyone was saying Ulster and had the best, the second best side in Ireland after the Munster win. And, you know, I, I have my thoughts about that. Is that because Munster have regressed or is it because Ulster have massively progressed? I think there's a bit of both in there, but obviously the hopes are very high and, Going into this game, my thoughts were, right, well, Ulster should have beaten the Stormers down in South Africa, bar a late refereeing decision that the URC came out and said was wrong, you know, a while back. So this necessarily wouldn't have had the fear of a usual trip to South Africa. So my mentality going into it was if Ulster wanted to prove that they're the second best side in Ireland and by default, what we thought at the time, the second best side in the competition, they needed to go down there and put a statement win and anything less would have been you know, a failure for this group and the aspirations that they put put together. But then you kind of take a step back for a few days. And I don't know, I think for Ulster to be, for Ulster to be leading in a game at that stage when they only had 38% of the territory and had to make nearly 50 more tackles than the opposition, I think that's a pretty good effort to be in the position they were at the end. So it's it's mixed feelings. I, I can't really figure out exactly how to think about it. I don't think it's as disappointing A result from an Ulster point of view as I initially thought it would have been before the game, but equally you can't, you can't not look at that ending, the last minute kick, what, 84th, 85th minute. And, and, and you can't, I think you can't detach yourself from the the emotion around that, I think as well. Yeah, I'm not
0: sure I've fully recovered myself and then know a lot of Ulster fans are the same. Um, I think it, it seemed almost inevitable. And I think Dan McFarland after the game talked about an inevitability um, in, that, in that sort of last 20 minutes. And whenever your coach is alluding to the fact that he thought uh, his team were going to lose, it says something about the mentality, the belief, whether there's something uh, not quite there in terms of um, a winning mentality uh, that Ulster, Ulster need. It's happened uh far too many times and i suppose at the outset there's there's a lot to talk about at the outset probably uh address whether the ball went over the <laughs> over the posts now i think we're clutching at straws if uh if that's what people are giving off about surprise me the number of people who keep bringing that up Like i have seen angles that shows the ball did go over the posts as far as i can tell so <laughs> we can knock that one on the head pretty early doors um but In terms of, I was going to start with positives, but I think we need to, uh, because it's a post-mortem, we need to decide what went wrong. So in terms of the decisions and the key moments in the game, what are the key moments that lost us through that game, do you think?
1: Oh, God. Um, Well, it's easy to look at the scores they conceded, isn't it? I mean, two tries off malls. First one, just a basic rolling, rolling mall. Second one really clever set play from the stormers they throw to the front jumper which means the ulster front jumper has to go up and there's no forward marking the edge of that the edge of that mall which leaves john cooney on his own and just a basic two-on-one then you know really clever play so set piece maul definitely hurt, hurt ulster but at the same time i think they, they they responded to the scrum battle pretty well um but generally speaking i thought if you looked at the respective malls of the two sides and you looked at their attacking and defensive malls like the amount of defensive mauls from Ulster's point of view, where you saw the likes of Henderson, Alan O'Connor, and they were getting spun out the side of it. And they, were gonna get, they were getting spun out the side of that mall. whereas, by contrast, whenever Ulster looked to mall, those guys were getting spun out the side of the attacking mall. and you didn't necessarily see that the Stormers, big boys, there was big mall defenders, but you didn't see the same thing happening to them. Um, it was actually very interesting. I just thought of you know, mall defence and before coming on here. If you remember the Ireland game in mean, Twickenham, um, Arden got a lot of plaudits Friend, I think it was Henderson and O'Mahony. Henderson, when he came on for James Ryan, when he had to go off, remember that red card, he got his shoulder to the head. Henderson came on and his mall defense alongside O'Mahony that day and took him was excellent. And it was interesting because they didn't do the the big man over the top where you see the two bodies and he's kind of reaching over the the the, the jumper and your man's trying to fight him up. Remember Henderson when when he did get gouged, he's he's trying to fight off the guy coming over the top. Ireland didn't defend like that in that game. They just locked their, their feet and, and used their studs at, to, at the back of the mall to try and prevent it going anywhere. And I thought it was interesting that Henderson was involved in that, and yet here, slightly different mall tactic for Ulster, where they did compete through the middle and it didn't really go well for them. Um, they couldn't stop the ball so sore. So that was an issue. Um, line. I mean, you look at Ulster's efficiency with the ball. I mean, we mentioned they only had 38% territory. They made far more line breaks still than the Stormers. Um. we're going to talk about individual passages that that didn't go well but they still managed to break the line and they didn't get the returns there was you know the one in the second half where burns and mccluskey combined and and cooney kicks the ball into the 22 and it kind of just rolls into touch doesn't get the bounce like there was a couple of moments like that and i actually think also probably i thought the stormer's backline defense was actually quite weak um just for that example i thought the the 13 Nell shot up out the line far too quickly and just let mccluskey goes through a gap with one small dummy from burns so did Ulster use that to their advantage enough? I don't know. Did they use the back line to their advantage enough? Who knows? Um, so, yeah, I think step piece defence around more time, you know, and and maybe a little bit of profligacy. I mean, Dan McFarland said, again, that in the last 20 minutes, they just didn't look after the ball yeah. as well. Um, yeah. When you're in, the, when in a big knockout game like that, I think it's easy to... You just got to try to play keep ball, don't you? And keep playing. And I'm, maybe, I'm not sure if they did.
0: Well, crucially, in the last couple of minutes, there was an opportunity there to hold on to the ball, stick it up the jumper and uh, sort of take it into contact. Maybe a minute 40 left on the clock, if you could just do that. Now, um, we were in and around room 22 at the time. Typically, you would look to um, make a a clearance kick. And it was maybe just a, a decision made under fatigue from Cooney to box kick it out. Uh, giving the ball back the stormers which of course led to um well what what happened <laughs> so yeah uh, ball retention was a, a an issue and crucially whenever you've you've not that long in the clock that was another obvious sort of key moment um now something i was going to ask you about as well i have my own thoughts on this is the, the the lack of substitutions the lack of going to the bench and it really stood out for me when i was watching it I thought McFarland does not trust the bench. What are your thoughts on that and utilising the entire squad at the right time?
1: It's a theme across the weekend uh, of of action. I mean, you look at the Leinster game as well. Keane Healy didn't get on to the last few minutes. Sean Crony didn't get on at all. Um, They only really brought on Ross Maloney because James Ryan got binned. So it's it's, it's a theme across Irish rugby at the minute. um, Irish rugby, generally speaking, has a lack of impact players to bring off the bench. And for all this talk about... Leinster in particular but Ulster in the last year or two about building depth and bringing up these guys who are going to be impact players for you the the narrative around that and they're not using them in, in big knockout games is it's really worrying it's really really worrying for a country that's supposed to pride itself in you know development route and and not signing a lot of non-irish qualified guys and then going down that route and going down the academy route it is really really concerning that guys like Eric O'Sullivan don't come on Um, they're not trusted guys you know Kieran Treadwell was trusted by Andy Farrell quite a lot during the Six Nations. Made pretty big impact, especially in that Scotland game, if I remember correctly. Big body, decent ball handler. I find it bizarre that he didn't get more minutes than he did. Um, I, I find that is a clear. I, it looks like there's a disconnect there between what what a provincial coach and national coach thinks of someone like that. Maybe I'm not reading too much into that, but that was the one that actually stood out to me the most. If anything, someone like O'Sullivan, I can remember watching him in in interpros getting getting overpowered by. By the likes of tyge furlong and interpro games so maybe i can understand why there's a little little bit of reluctance about bringing him on in the dying stages against a strong set piece side but someone like tradwell that didn't make a lot of sense to me so yeah it's it's interesting and it's if, if if that is true if i mean that's the only conclusion you can draw that there's a lack of trust in in bench options then we have to as a country and then as the four provinces individually you kind of have to Think about how well, why are we not producing the the athlete that can those dynamic athletes that can come on and, and be bench impact players. I mean,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's looking at the the bench. Do you know there's maybe not your your classic impact players. Ordinarily, Ulster would be starting with Marty Moore and bringing on Tom O'Toole, which is a great uh, sort of impact replacement. Marty Mer, or, or uh, uh, Tom O'Toole can carry. Eric O'Sullivan has not kicked on in the way that we would have liked, became an Ireland international. And I think if you'd asked any Ulster fan sort of a season or two ago who would be our starting loose head, Eric O'Sullivan would have been the answer. Andy War has come in um, and done well. In fact, he did very well against Malherbe, um, uh, who is a, uh, a formidable uh, scrummager and um, uh, off as well on the other side. Um, I thought the front row held up pretty well, all things considered. But those guys were absolutely punctured um, uh, by sort of, t- typically, you'd be, you'd be looking to replace your front row sort of 60, 65 minutes in. And for whatever reason, McFarland uh, didn't back those guys, as you say. Uh, Treadwell's a proven, a proven top player. And uh, again, it's anyone's guess what, why why he didn't come on.
1: The one thing I would say is that we, we never know what these guys, particularly second rows, you just never know what the injury profile is either. Um, yeah. And if they're putting them on the bench and they're only good for 20 minutes, they're not going to tell you that they've got a niggle and yeah. they're never going to be. so I mean, that's, that's look, that's bordering on the not, 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 not conspiracy, but th- that type of thing happens more often than you'd think. I think I think especially in big knockout games where, you know, the options beyond Treadwell might not be trusted. And the big one for me though was, um, was the Tidehead. Uh, i'm going to butcher his name milicinovich like i, I don't i i've you know he's someone who has been quite heralded and and yet maybe maybe he's is it a year too early for him i don't know it would suggest the lack of game time he got today that that mcfarland would, would probably think so
0: well that's it. it it's a basic issue of squad rotation and um milicinovich anytime he's come on has done completely fine the, the, the simple answer to uh as he good enough at that level is we don't know yet because he hasn't been tested. So in a way, the issues that we saw in those final 10, 15 minutes were created throughout the season as a result of lack of squad rotation. You look at the number of players Leinster by contrast have used uh, in comparison to Ulster this season, albeit Leinster obviously have a much bigger and well resourced squad, Um, Ulster have not rotated throughout the season. In fact, they've, they seem to have frozen out several players, Madigan being one of them. And I actually thought it was short-sighted to do that because um, we have a situation where Billy Burns is clearly injured with uh, 15, 20 minutes to go, remains on the pitch and madigan has not had enough um, top level game time to step on it's not fair on him to chuck him into that situation now, he's an experienced player and uh to, you know, if anyone could come on and uh in that pressurized situation and see the game it's it's madigan uh, because he is so experienced but McFarland didn't trust him uh enough to do that and and that's disappointing oh, so i just
1: said like with on the madigan point it is interesting that you needed you needed a game manager in those last few those last ten minutes. And I don't know. I I I'm not gonna go out on a limb here and say Billy Burns or Ian Madigan is a better game manager or whatever you want to call it. I mean, 10 probably doesn't manage the game anyway for us to necessarily in, in, in the way a lot of other teams does does that would be my thinking around it. But the, the dope one I think which you we were about to get onto, that was really interesting because that's gotta be a bit of a kick in the teeth for a young guy who we know has got it. Like that's one guy, whatever about the others. He is one guy who we have seen perform really really well at, at urc level and, and the earlier stages of, of europe as well so that was a really intriguing one again you don't know how fit a guy is or what's going on but if he is fit and he's on the bench i know ulster to like, put a lot of trust in john cooney but this was almost like ulster of two years ago where it's it's the complete cooney show and nothing else is going on i mean they look like they're moving away from that, and yet in the biggest game of the season, they, the, the young kid doesn't get on and doesn't get like. Look, is look, is Nathan dock going to be the winning or the losing of the match for Ulster? You have absolutely no idea. Your scrum half in those defensive situations probably isn't the most important player on the park, but in terms of in terms of squad management, it's a it's a valid question, I think.
0: Yeah, well, it was something which I, I suppose <laughs> in in my emotional state after the game. I did place a lot of blame on on McFarland, the coaching coaching staff at Ulster, and none on the players. Now, people will argue, well, it's, to be fair, it's the players on the pitch; it's their job to 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 get the result. But you have to put them in the best possible position. And as you say with uh, Nathan Doak, it it seemed like an obvious one because he's a guy who. Um, largely down to the fact Cooney was injured earlier in the season has got a lot of rugby uh, this season and he's uh, he's played well and he's very confident he he's only he's only 20-21 but he plays with a, a sort of confidence and swagger of someone who's been <laughs> he's played for Ireland and uh, has 100 caps uh, behind him so um, it was just interesting that he he didn't look to Nathan Doak. And even that decision I alluded to earlier, that decision to box kick away out of trouble uh, with two minutes to go, it's the sort of decision you make when you're knackered he, and you're not, you're not maybe thinking, whereas someone like Nathan Doak can come onto the pitch and he can boss a game. Um, also, as you say, I suppose more, more so than other teams um, have, a, have have nines who, who control the game. Um I just want to ask you about what you thought of a couple of individual performances as well so billy burns comes in for some flack what did you make of his his performance saturday
1: yeah it's an interesting one is is billy because i think it's it's he's an easy target isn't he uh, because he's not seen as one of the premier irish tens so whenever it's it's i, I do feel for him i feel like it's one of those whenever Ulster do badly it's 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 just very easy to go to the go to the blame Billy card. I thought he, I thought he played reasonably well. I think for the Bob Balakun try in the first half, you know, he could see that his, his, his team's mall was going nowhere. And again, I don't know who calls this, whether it's himself or Cooney, but the ball gets to him. He calls a nice, nice line off, off, off McCluskey that, that draws in three defenders and then bang, he's on the ball and he's, and he's, it's still a one-on-one situation with the back line, but you know, he gets the ball wide quickly. He makes a good decision. You know, you could, you could argue the pass from, from more to Balakun, um, if you wanted, but look, um I think Burns is whatever he called there to get the ball wide and his decision making and his execution there was brilliant. And there were other times, I mean, I mentioned it earlier the line break where he kind of took advantage of a of a bad of a defender in a bad position off a scrum. And it wasn't look, it wasn't the the most silky, delayed dummy pass that we've seen in the world, but it worked. It sold the thirteen and it opened the hole for McCluskey to go through. So he, he has plenty of touches like that. Um again, he's the ten on the pitch at the end of the game. Is it him that's making that decision to box kick? Is it John Cooney? You clearly you, I mean you clearly don't like the decision. I'm 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 always cautious to to, to criticize individual decisions because I think that's because if they play the ball in around their 22 and with a referee like Adamson, they go two rucks and he pings them for going off their feet, we're sitting here going, why why the hell did they not kick it? So again, it's it's tricky to comment on that because it's you know you know, six one way, half a dozen the other, and equally we don't know who makes that decision. If if it's Burns or if it's or if it's the nine, as as Cooney has as traditionally bossed things for Ulster. I think look, I think I don't think Burns played badly. I think Ulster's kicking game was reasonable. I mean the, the kicking stats on the URC website are, are pretty good. They've got 67% um, you know, the, the in terms of the kicks that made made yards. So I think yeah, yeah. I I think it's it's he, he didn't look he, he wasn't the winning or the losing of the game, put it that way.
0: Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of, of Burns for clarity. Um, it sounded a bit like this and claim at his feet, not at all. I I actually think Billy Burns, um, get, gets some very unfair criticism, despite being, I I think that the point I'd make here is when Billy Burns doesn't play for Ulster, they struggle massively. And that says so much about how important the player he is. Um, I think it's, a it's a position that always comes in for criticism when a, when a team doesn't play well. Um, I have to say Ulster, Ulster did. By and large, play pretty well. I thought I thought Billy Burns was was pretty good. The other person I was uh, quite impressed with playing out of position Stuart Moore. I mean, any thoughts on on how he stepped in? One of the most exciting attacking talents in Irish rugby. Mike Laurie out injured. Stuart Moore comes in difficult circumstances. Uh, any thoughts on his performance?
1: Yeah, it's he's kind of he's kind of cursed to, to always flatter to deceive. I think more a little bit. Um, I mean, he was Ulster's best carrier in terms of meters made, so that's that's a big tick. But you're always missing something when you don't have Larry in the backfield, kind of punish punish loose kicking as he's as he's done so often this year, and that, that's not Stuart Mer's fault. I mean, you can't you can't really hold that against him. And like you said, he's he's playing out of position again. I thought he did pretty well. Um, like we said, his his pass may or may not have been have been forward. For the Balagoon try, but again, he's he's the man who's in that position, and he got on the outside of his defender really nicely there because it was a, it was a two on two, um. So and he manufactured that into a into a two on one for Balagoon to to finish in. So again, probably not someone who 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 tore things up, but again, he wouldn't have been the reason why, why Ulster lost and he was, he was he was quite solid, I thought.
0: Yeah, and I suppose just looking back at Ulster season, we'll we'll probably do a separate episode, sort of a season review, but. Ulster, since, for the first time since 2013, they got home and away wins over Leinster, um, away wins over to, to the French teams, a great performance against Munster last week, and as you say, progressing to probably Ireland's second best province. Um, as you say, it's a combination of, of Ulster being good and, and Munster taking maybe a step back this season. But well, I mean, overall, when you look at that season, would you consider it successful? I know there's a, a, a sort of pretty divisive among uh, among Ulster fans. Um, you get people who are very positive and and say McFarland has turned things around, but he has. He's an excellent coach. But I always equate things back to football, and think in Premiership football, if a manager hasn't won anything, you've got a squad like this at your disposal and you don't even get to the final, you come in, the, in for some criticism. So I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Is McFarland under any pressure, or do you think he's actually punching above his weight with this squad?
1: I don't think he's punching above his weight. I think Ulster are rightly the second best team in the country right now. I know you, the, the home and away wins over Leinster were were significant. I think um, the home one, the, the away win down in the RDS, Leinster had a slightly stronger outfit, but I think, the the one up in Kingspan, um, I think you know Leinster didn't weren't at, at full strength and, and Ulster still had had their guys who weren't playing in the Six Nations, um, so I think that's that in terms of that gap, that gap is diminished. Uh, I mean, we can remember last year or two years ago, uh, Leinster's second team putting fifty points on Ulster, so there's a, that that's improvement and that's that's that should definitely be be highlighted and that's good. Um, but so I don't necessarily think he's punching above his weight. He's got look if you look at the caliber of that side. He's got in, in quite a lot of positions. I think he's got like the second best player in the country in that position. Um, if, especially in the back line, if you look at someone like James Hume, um, and my, you know, there's an argument to Mikey Larry as well there. Um, Bob Balakun, I think I think he's the best winger in the country, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. So, no, I don't think he's punching above his weight. I think domestically, semi final, I think final is where they need to be. I think losing a final, if it was losing it to Leinster, would have been a so called acceptable outcome. For this ulster side uh the fact that they haven't got there has to be a disappointment and i think there's no other way of looking about I, that I, I don't think there's a blame game to be played there but i mean you talked about his comments i didn't actually read mcfarland's comments when he said it felt inevitable i read him saying that they deserved to lose because they didn't hold on to the ball but if he is saying that if he's saying that it felt inevitable in the last 20 minutes well then there's clearly a mentality thing going on um and once you get into that mentality it's really really hard to get out of it. I, I don't think it's necessarily his fault or anyone's fault but that's yeah. that's it that's an issue and that, that's the hardest issue to solve if 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 you knew how to fix a side's mindset in those big games then you know you'd be getting paid a lot more than than either you or i do <laughs> um i to be honest with you i actually almost think the the, the to lose defeat was probably the more disappointing one in terms of it was fo- the back of a massive win and it was really just the only reason ulster lost that game is because dupont went to 10 and started bossing it against a tired team um whereas you know ulster probably made more mistakes i think in in the stormers game so look you went out to the european the defending european champions and the reigning world player of the year and then you lost by a last minute kick down in south africa in two knockout games yes that's a fantastic return that 99 of teams would love for from any season but i think the fact that ulster have been there a few times now it's the same questions every year about mindset of the side and squad or to all the things we're talking about, but it's, it's, I don't think, I don't think they're punching above their weight, put it that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you say, um, they're not punching above their weight, which implies, yes, there's maybe McFarland's maybe not either getting enough from that team or we just lack in the, uh, key individuals and in key positions. And that's probably,
1: that's probably it. Probably I it. think, yeah, I think, this is more or less Ulster's not ceiling because one massive knockout game or two not two massive knockout games in, in consecutive weeks can change everything. And every side at this level is capable of that. But I think, you know, they probably like to get late. They, they definitely need to get further in Europe than they did than, than the last 16. That's definitely not their ceiling. But in terms of the URC, and especially now, if, look, if the South African teams are, are here for real as well, you know, top four in like the last four is is probably where, where Ulster are at the minute.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. And look, I think part of the issue with Ulster at the minute is that we came through a period of transition, <laughs> and that's been used as an excuse for too long now. So, um, having said that, I am really proud of this team, and what they've done. They put their bodies on the line in this game, and you can't do any more than that. Look, I disagree with some of the decisions that were made by the coaching staff and maybe the lack of trust that were put in the players in a wider squad. I'd like to see that changed. But there's definitely a sense of optimism in the squad that everyone is pulling in the same direction. The atmosphere at Ulster Rugby is good. Look at the team we have, the young players coming through. Nathan Doak, Mike Lowry, James Hume, Stuart Moore, Ethan McElroy, and that's just a few. There's loads more. And you'd like to think these guys will win something. This squad can win something and I am optimistic about the future of Ulster Rugby. We're doing things the right way, developing local talent. Maybe we do need to supplement that with a couple of big names to bolster the squad. Players out injured, remember we have Stockdale and Addison, two huge players to come back into the team as well. I'm excited to see Dave McCann, who has a really bright future ahead of him, get more games. There's a load of other names, but I don't want to to spoil a future episode uh, where we can discuss all of these things. So, I do want to end on a positive. So, as we run out of time, remember rugby is entertainment. It's supposed to be fun. Don't be too disappointed. Do what I did. When Ulster Rugby lose, order a big chippy or a Chinese, and the world seems like a better place. Anyway, thanks, Nathan, for the chat. That was Nathan Johns. Find him on Twitter or at the Irish Times where he writes about sport. I have a number of other podcasts coming up. So Mick Carney recently retired Ulster second row, David Humphreys and Paddy McAllister. I didn't want to release them all immediately as I knew you'd gorge on them. Uh, (laughs) But now that we're going to be out without rugby for the next wee while, I've saved them up and I'll release them to give you your rugby fix before the Ireland tour of New Zealand. So anyway, thank you so much for listening. Um, Disappointed as I am, very proud of this team. And look, there's much more uh, to come on the Red Hand. So uh, keep an eye out. And again, thanks for supporting the podcast and the website. Hugely appreciated. I really hope you support the Red Hand when it launches as well. Thanks.